Community Conversations with Community Centres SA. Here's Kerry Ackermans. If you listen to the podcast with John Mannion from Breakthrough Mental Health Foundation, you would have heard that it is now recognised that the early onset of mental health is around 11 to 14 years old, and exercise and activity is a commonly cited coping mechanism. Riding a bike has always been a rite of passage for most kids, but who would have thought that it could be the basis for a successful mentoring program? Lighthouse Youth Projects is doing just that, and joining me today is co-founder of Lighthouse, Jamie Moore. Lighthouse Youth Projects, Incorporated is a registered charity and volunteer-supported not-for-profit organisation sharing a love of riding and living life to the fullest. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks, Kerry. It's uh, my pleasure to be on. So that is interesting that when you think about riding a bike, kids normally really get into it around those ages of 10, 11, don't they? And that's where they're saying we need to have the intervention point for mental health to be preventive. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, you're right. It is a rite of passage and a lot of young people intrinsically pick up a bike or the parents buy them one. And the majority of young kids we work with, um, that traditionally happens a little bit later. They might not have access to bikes. They might not have the financial resources to have a bike or just generally just disadvantaged to the point where they've never really seen or really, yeah, had access. So, but yeah, traditionally I think most kids would start to ride around that age, yeah. So you work with young people at risk, Jamie. Tell us how Lighthouse Youth Project started up and how you became involved. Yeah, it's a great question. Ryan Lloyd, the other co-founder and myself, around 2013, mid-2013, were both in other roles. Ryan broke his back in a riding accident and so he was laid up and unable to ride. And the business I was involved in as well was forced into voluntary administration at that point as well. So we're both thinking, what could we do? We'd, we'd spent our lives riding bikes, Ryan at a professional level, I guess mine at more um, you know, intermediate level. And we realised very soon after we started, we got, actually got a call to come and do a talk in the youth prison here in Adelaide. It was a cabin at the time. And it just progressed from there. We actually got asked to come to a talk. The talk turned into just a riding session with the kids behind bars. And it's just sort of progressed uh, ever since. So we're heading into year 10 now, which is quite a... It was like quite a feat <laughs> to get to 10 years. Well, it so, certainly is from a funding perspective, that's for sure. So, Jamie, what sort of challenges are your clients facing? I mean, how do they become involved in your programs? Yeah, okay, so I'm just looking. I'm in the office upstairs right now. And I'm looking down on the workshop. We've got a couple of young lads in today. Juvenile justice is a huge one, Kerry. So kids that have had either been locked up, issues with courts or the police, they're a big portion of the clients that we work with. That's probably the majority. And then a lot of schools we work with, uh, the kids that come through, are just disengaged, might be have low numeracy and literacy, might have an interest with bikes, uh, an interest with working with tools and on bikes. So I guess that's the majority of where the kids that we work with come from. Uh, obviously, like the DCP, child protection, loads of other not-for-profits and charities will refer young people on to the program as well. And inside of the programs we run, we have some dedicated um, school program called Balance, Individualised Mentoring, which is called Cadence, and then a pre-employment program called Trails, which is a bit more directly sort of linked towards employment outcomes. And we will do that in conjunction with a really cool organisation called Mass National. And Jamie, how do you get the bikes and all the tools and how did this all get set up? Because it's quite an investment. I look at some of these bikes used now, particularly for the racing, and they're unbelievable sums of money. Yeah, it's been a very neat hodgepodge of, of donations over the years. We're set up down at Lipson Street at Port Adelaide now with a fully functioning 
bike workshop, about four work stands and then all the tools. I guess over time, Kerry, most of it was purchased. The tools were mainly purchased, but we do a sale once a month for the bikes that are repaired through the Cadence Mentoring Program. We sell the bikes that aren't needing to be donated. We sell them on to members of the general public. And then that's been a good way for us to help sort of pay our overheads down, but also to invest in more tools and equipment. But long story short, we get loads of donations, which is really, really cool. A lot of people, you know, secondhand bikes, saying they want to clean up or they'll have a deceased estate or it might be a bike shop that gets quite a lot of donations. And yeah, they will funnel through to us and we just don't waste a thing, Kerry, you know, even down to recycling tyres and tubes into workout equipment. Yeah, we're literally, you know, I know you come from the not-for-profit sector, so we literally, we're not for profit, but we're also um, not for loss either, so we don't waste a thing, yeah. Well, not for waste. We're in the circular economy and that's what's really important, isn't it? Jamie is we're not wasting these things they can be reused we do tend to be a buy and trash society and yeah and even yeah, the metal itself you know we can't afford to be redigging this up we should be using what we have yeah it's kind of heartbreaking I guess you know you need to go past someone's hard rubbish but there's always a bike in there amongst other things and we can we only uh, like our specialty is working on bikes, but you often see furniture and things like that. And you think, geez, if someone could just clean that up or paint that, that would have been good to do furniture as well. Do you work in with the councils, Jamie, or are you one of those people with the trailers who go around <laughs> checking out the hard rubbish? <laughs> uh, we're not that sort of random. I guess we've had to become a lot more structured in the way we take donations. So on the sale days, we take a lot of bike donations in on the same day. So a lot of people sort of almost trade in their bikes, per se. City of Port Adelaide Enfield would have been great. The Mayor, Claire Bowen down here has been really supportive. And we've had a couple of bike drive days through with, with the ABC AM. So when we have those, we just get literally hundreds of bikes get donated. So sort of catalogue the bikes and work through everything that we've got for best fit. And Jamie, walk us through the Mentor and Cadence program. How does that actually work? Yeah, um, that's a great question, Kerry. Thank you. Um, we get a referral on, say, from the Department of Child Protection or SAPOL or myriad of other sources. But normally they'll come and say, look, I've got, say, for example, a 13-year-old boy that's had touches with juvenile justice, currently not attending school. So we'll meet that young person first. First and foremost, we meet them, sort of ascertain if they're actually interested in bikes and want to either ride them with professional mentors or work on them with professional bicycle mechanics and just go from there. Most of the times we see these young people at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. And I think the longest client we've had is just over four years we've been working with them. So we do build up quite a relationship with them and it's great to see over time, you know, where they you know, might be just little things, just becoming more confident, you know, maybe getting their licence, moving on to paid employment. It's all pretty heartwarming stuff that happens once those young people get engaged. And I think that's what we've worked out over the last 10 years, that everyone's at a place where they fit in, Kerry. And it's about trying to find that person, getting them in a nice little slot where they feel comfortable, they feel like they're part of the organisation, but also building their own confidence, I guess, would be the biggest thing. And Jamie, is this mainly for males or for, I guess, people who have their, depending on what their preference for gender is? How does that work these days? Yeah, it's mainly male. It is always changing. In the school groups, it's probably 60, 40. So 60 identifies male, 40 as female. But then we do, in the Cadence program, there are a couple of young girls, and they love it. The one's a really good mechanic, and one's a really athletic mountain biker. So, yeah, we always say girl shred too, so it's a very, um, gender doesn't mean a lot to us, as opposed to, um, 
just actually having a, a place or a purpose for those young people to, to be and hang out. And that's great to hear, Jamie, because in the community sector, inclusivity is so important because everyone needs to feel culturally safe and to feel comfortable. And I'd yeah. guarantee that in these conversations they're having with the mentors, that it's not just about the bikes, but that opens up the opportunity to talk about other things and give that encouragement. Yes, you're, um, you read it. You read the room perfectly there, Kerry. It's a huge, and, and again, as I said, I'm looking down at the workshop now, and you just know the conversations really drift in a quite a varied way. Sometimes, I think, for some of these young people, it's a chance to work with a professional, an adult, but someone who's not judging them, not judging them for what they did last night, not judging them for how they are, but also showing them, hey, this is what this is what a professional person looks like. They're not going to abuse you. They're not going to offer you drugs. They're going to just work with you. And, and I think sometimes that you can see that that's not common for some of these young people, that they haven't been exposed to professional adults that are cool and uh, are not trying to extract something from them, you know. And isn't it interesting that they could view those professional adults and say, we have something in common. He, she's just the same as me. We both love bikes. We're working on this bike. That must do a lot to lift their confidence. Yeah, you're right, Kerry does. And that if you'd asked me what the best thing, I think, you know, I'm just trying to think of a few cases that happened recently. You know, we've got a young lad that has been coming for mentoring for about six months and he's very quiet, but you can see his confidence is slowly starting to build. And he now work experience at a commercial bike shop and they called me this morning and said that they're looking at potentially hiring him in a part-time role for the Christmas holidays. I just thought it's so proud to see people progress and I think, sorry I digress, I think it's a confidence, to see someone's confidence increases is just when the, when the changes happen, you know, the positive changes happen, whether that be becoming employed, just feeling better about themselves, maybe taking care of their own equipment, maybe showering more, all those things are just are all what you see when people are confident and um, happy and feel like they've got a purpose. And interesting too, I mean, you just mentioned showering, basic activity that a lot of people drop when they're feeling isolated and home situation isn't good, but also eating, seeing somebody have a healthy lunch. Yeah, Kerry, we um, we have a smoothie maker here. We have a toasty machine <laughs> and coffee machine. Those three things are on permanent rotation. We've actually invested in quite good ones because there's never a day when the client doesn't come in that doesn't want a bottle of cold water, a cup of tea or coffee and a toasty, you know, and I think that's, again, that's to share little things like just small food and snacks and things like that. Again, with someone, I think it's, it, it can change your day, can't it? You know, a cup of, cup of coffee will help you get an adult like yourself through a normal day and you think for a young person sometimes the same thing too. You know, a cup of coffee or a sanger with someone and a conversation and, you know, your day is a lot better than it was before. Well, that whole concept, Jamie, of breaking bread. I sat down with somebody, we've shared a meal together, we're the same, you know, we're equal. That's a really important thing because I'm sure for a lot of the people that you see have seen that they're, yes, they're disadvantaged, they undertook behaviours that they probably know that they shouldn't have done but if they can see they can sit with somebody who they might look up to and just share a meal, have a cup of coffee, makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's it helps our staff too because it's all it's all communal, you know, so everyone can just grab toasties or coffee. And I think, yeah, you're right, the, the act of breaking bread or sitting down and sharing uh, or just being with other people is very normal, And it's, but it's not normal for a lot of these situations. And I think that's just another way to feel like you're actually part of something instead of just being told off. I guess that's another big thing. We don't tell people off here. We don't charge them for what they've been up to in the past or anything like that. There's never any judgment like that. So I think there's no point dwelling in the past. If we cracked up at people for stealing things in the past, it's not going to help them. It's probably just going to give them a guilt trip and just make them not want to come back here. But if we can say, look, the reason why I don't like thievery is because the cost of insurance goes up and it actually just makes my life more expensive. They might not have ever heard that before. They might have just thought that stealing cars or bikes is just a way to get money, you know? So 
non-judgmental, I think, is another way that we've been able to build rapport with people. And I mean, that's not to say that things are loose here. We've got a strict code of conduct that everyone's got to abide by. But at the same time, there's just no point in judging anyone. It's just almost redundant, you know. Do you think too, Jamie, that it gives them a sense of ownership? Because for these kids, maybe they've had to stool because they haven't had anything. But here they know this belongs to everybody and I'm really doing the wrong thing by people who become my mates or my positive role models and I don't want them to think badly of me. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a great observation. And, and I think further to that point, it's very common for kids or young people who have very, very little to be very generous with what they're working on. So they'll be very happy to know that that bike's going to someone else that might be doing it even tougher than they are, which is a really interesting model. You thought everyone would just be out for themselves, but in reality, most people are, uh, the, and the young people we work with in that cohort are actually happier to know that that equipment, that bike or that helmet's going to be cleaned up and given to someone that is worse off than them. I think that all helps us realise how lucky we all are to have a, a warm bed to go to at night and, and things like that as well. So it's a kind of a win-win for staff and volunteers as well as, most importantly, the clients because that's what we're, we're here for. And the old adage, the best way to help yourself is to help others. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I have not heard that, but that's cool, Kerry. Yeah, it is true. I think if you... It is an oldie but a goodie, but I'm glad I passed that on, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, no, I love it. Love a good uh, analogy or, or adage. Yeah, but that is true, you know. You, there's only so much you can uh, you can take with you when you die. You might as well... Oh, there's a great not... saying on that one. Have you ever seen a removalist truck following a hearse? <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> I'm going to write that down shortly. Actually. Yeah. No, you can't take it with you. It's and I always say when you stand at a eulogy, I'm yet to find one when somebody says, "I'm says, well, he had 20 cars and 15 yeah. houses." No one ever talks about the stuff you have. They talk about what you were like as a person, what you did, how you made people feel. Yeah. There was a band many years ago called Motorhead, and I remember reading an interview with his lead singer, Lammy, and he said that, you know, you either make the world better or you make it worse. Take <laughs> a choice. That's a really, it's a pretty simple thing, you know, and I think that's what we try to do with Lighthouse. We haven't always made the best decisions, but we've tried to make the best decisions you can, and you guys know what it's like. You know, you run a small organisation on a shoestring budget. There's no, you can't make big financial stuff-ups or rebrand errors, you know. It's just like you've just got to literally keep moving forward and do the best you can. But I think that has been a really good learning curve for myself, moving into not-for-profit sector and being a Category 1 DGR that, that we are, that every penny's got to be counted, but then you start to sort of not make stupid decisions where you might maybe lose a lot, you know. I think you have to be a lot more calculated and, and truly put the client as the core of our of our work and I think that's yeah it's a nice little grounding you know when you leave and all the bills are paid and all the clients are happy you think yeah well, it's a good little organisation and it stayed to its original strat plan. And 10 years on it's fantastic but you're right Jamie there's a lot of challenges run a not-for-profit and you do need to make sure you have strong governance but the compliance is enormous these days so you're eating into your resources unless you use them as effectively as possible. Yes yeah totally I think yeah, there's just never enough time in the day. And I know any small business owner would say that, but I would, I'd probably argue a small organisation or a small not-for-profit, well, it has more governance for sure, but I think there's just there's more to do because you just have so little. But I think that's the, the beautiful part of that is then, as I said before, I think you just make, you make more calculated decisions than put everyone, uh, everyone in the organisation first. Yeah, we are very proud. Ten years is, is no joke. You know, I think if you can get through two years in, in small business or organisational 
lifelines, 10 years, we're, we're very happy and I'd like to think we're, you know, we're here for a few more years, yeah. Uh, Jamie, I'm just keen to explore where you get the mentors from and people helping with the bikes. Where do they come from? How do you find them? Yeah, it's a great question. Our staff are by far our biggest asset and it's so easy to say that, like, oh, we love our staff, but it is true. We, Because we've ridden at a professional standard for quite a few years, we've known, obviously, a lot of good bicycle mechanics. But over time, I mean, some of the best mentors we've had have been carpenters, um, have been excavator operators. The love of riding is always there. That's an absolute given. But inside of riding bikes, you know, that there's been such long histories of people that have ridden semi-professional, maybe ridden the Tour de France and then realised they couldn't do it, became a carpenter and still love riding or just plugged away as a bicycle mechanic at a high level for many years and got sick of just the, the buying and selling uh, and realised that they wanted to pass knowledge on. So they come from a wide variety of sources. One of our senior mentors was one of the highest-ranked plumbing apprentice graduates years ago, and he chose to uh, get into the mentoring field after he saw us working and is still here and just loves it. He's obviously a qualified bicycle mechanic and rider himself. So, yeah, a whole different walk of life, walks of life, uh, where our mentors come from. But first and foremost is that love of riding in some in some aspect. Jamie, you're a bike organisation. There's a lot of bike riding groups. All those men that you see in their like are hobbling around in their boots and coffee shop. Yeah. There'd be a lot of people there with skills. Are you looking for more? Do people need to be an employer? The people can just come and volunteer um, as a mentor? Uh, you know, we're a micro organisation. We've got about seven staff and three volunteers, so we are tiny. But yeah, I guess if people did want to reach out to us, they can always just shoot us a message through the website. It's always the best way to keep in touch. And from there, I guess we'll just ascertain, you know, what the client load we've got on at the moment is and, and if there is a, a role for people. It's not for everyone. Kerry, you know, it can get pretty stressful and we're working with some situations that aren't very pleasant a lot of the time. Um, and it's, it's not for everyone. It's not beautiful and clean all the time, but... I think everyone that works here enjoys the challenge, but I think everyone loves to see that that confident progression. No, just making me think of it because for a lot of men who retire, who've, like teachers, people who've done that instruction, or as you said, there's a lot of core skills in there from the trade science, started up businesses. It's not good for men to retire. They need a purpose. So this could be something ideal. Uh, and instead of just riding for the bikes on the weekend, they might want to give back. Yeah, well, I guess you guys in the community centre space, I guess it's the same sort of thing. That everyone needs a space, right? And I always saw my grandparent grandfathers being tinkerers in sheds with loads of cool tools and things like that, and that gave me a lifelong love of being able to repair things. And I think we don't want to lose older people that have a really good skill set. Our maintenance manager here, actually, a fellow by the name of Ray, is, is close to retirement, and he loves it. You know, he's just got a purpose. He comes here and does all the safety and does our fire extinguishers and, you know, tool maintenance and things like that, and he just loves it, and it's great. We recently did the um, Christmas pageant at Port Adelaide and he was involved and he just people would be proud to be associated with something, you know, and I think it's cool. It's cool to see that and I, yeah, I agree. Men, I can't vouch for older women, but I know men definitely need stuff to do. They become quite quite awesome or ornery if they don't have stuff to do. Well, a lot of their women in their life would like men to have something to do too, Jamie, so it serves two purposes, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a great organisation. I've been talking to Jamie Moore from the Lighthouse Youth Projects. Thank you for sharing that, Jamie. It's just a great organisation and I love what you're doing and the outcomes you're achieving. Awesome, Kerry. Thanks so much for the opportunity to chat. It's nice to explain what we're doing and really appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. 
Community Centres SA advocates, connects and raises the profile of community work by sharing stories to help our community sector with this weekly podcast. Community centres are open for anyone and provide place-based activities to enrich the lives of people in our communities. Look out for the next episode and please share our podcast to your networks. Keep sending us your valuable feedback and suggestions for interviews to info at communitycentressa.asn.au. Community Conversations. For more information, check out communitycentressa.asn.au.